there was a little bit of a chuckle afterwards when I was like, it's only two more years till the twentieth anniversary of ours. And just kind of gave him all I kind of kind of gave him all a side eye. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. You're listening to Sapnin Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to episode 270 of Sapnin Podcast featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards. And since starting this podcast, we have literally spent hours talking about the history of one of our favorite bands yes we have there's no more puns to come after that this week's guest is <laughs> former bassist of the mighty funeral for a friend uh he's mighty again i need to get more superlatives yes this week's guest is gareth davis former bassist of funeral for a friend and all-round good friend of ours yes any chance we get to talk faff we take it. <laughs> oh, we love faff. <laughs> Constantly talking faff, we are. <laughs> Gareth was a vital part of Funeral's major label lineup during the international success of the first three albums, Casually Dressed Hours and Tales Don't Tell Oof. Themselves, between 2002 and 2008. Now, since then, he stepped away from music completely. He's had no other bands, no side projects or industry jobs. But in October 2023, returned to the stage for the first time in over a decade to do a song with Funeral at the Cardiff Arena while they celebrated Casually Dressed for old time's sake. So with all that happening, we thought we were way overdue this conversation anyway. We really wanted to dive into Gareth's experience, getting that one last gig, one last song with the band, and just his life in between. Yes, I am personally seen Gareth, well, before October 2023, I hadn't seen him for about 13 years or something like that. And as soon as we saw him, it was like, it was like nothing had happened. Literally, like the last time I saw him in Pontypris. When I was just walking through Ponton Prison, I was like, something about right? And then we just had a chat for ages. It was exactly like that, but in Cardiff, 13 years later, it was awesome to see him. This is a brilliant, brilliant chat. I think it's going to be very, very interesting to people who don't know the complete history of Funeral for a Friend. Yeah, he gives us some brilliant inside knowledge and scoops, talks about life post-band, 
I can't believe what he does now for a job. I didn't yeah. even know until he mentioned it on the podcast. So he is going to get an email after this because I want to look like a rapper head to toe in clothes. <laughs> Not yeah. that I make it now. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I just oh, realized it. Whoa, whoa, no, whoa. I own clothes. Listen, he works at a fucking premier fucking fashion <laughs> brand, right? Fashion, <laughs> fashion house, I believe they call it, right? And I'd like some of that stuff. It's never going to happen. But, you know, we can wish, can't we? We can yeah, wish. we can wish. We can wish. But it's going to surprise you. And literally, we're just going to dive in to everything from how getting back on stage with the guys happened after all this time to his departure from the band, living in America, having to deal with the Welsh accent America. to Americans, and just loads of like little insights in between those albums and their influence. And we literally bumped into him at a coffee shop before that Cardiff yep. gig as well. And yeah, it's like if we see him all the time. It was just kind of a nice reminiscing of, of everything. Do you know what's mad, right? I found that people in bands, you could literally be friends with them for years, and then they disappear for a decade. <laughs> and when you see them again, it's like nothing has ever changed, right? Whereas people outside of, who are not in bands and stuff, if you don't see someone from school for 10 years, the next time you see them, it's awkward and weird. And I just don't get, yeah, it's it's. It's a weird one. It's a very weird conundrum. But yeah, we loved having Garathon. We literally talk everything, like you said, composing music to brilliant moments with Funeral for a Friend realized they were on to playing a show with My Chemical Romance to 50 people. There's loads. There's yeah, absolutely it's just, loads. There's just loads. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, I mean, you know by now that we've done countless episodes with Matt, Chris, Ryan, and Darren before. You know how influential this band is to us in our personal lives. Um, but Gareth is the missing piece of the puzzle to that kind of breakout lineup that we haven't had on. So it's nice that we could kind of put everything together and get all sides of the band's just conversations and everything. But before we get in to this episode, um, normally mm-hmm. I tell you to go and follow us at Sapping Pod on Instagram and the app for me on was Twitter. I guess I just did again. Um, I was about we, to say, are we not doing it? What? Have, you, have we deleted our social? No, we haven't, because we've just made a really oh, a shame. cool announcement uh, that I don't think anyone was expecting. Well, I wasn't. You weren't. <laughs> no, I'm very happy about it, though. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I wasn't expecting it at all. I was like, oh, here we go. This is never going to happen. Carry on. Sorry, tell him. Tell him! Uh, as the Lonely Island once said, um, we're going on a boat. Hey! <laughs> Do you know what? The Lonely Island have never said we're going on the boat. It's I'm on the boat. I'm on the boat. Um, yeah, but paraphrase. It's sad that we have to, yeah, the only reference we've got to boats is uh, probably 20 years old now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Is there any other boat song since? It, no, it's the best boat song, isn't it? So basically what's happened is we've been invited to go and hang out on the Emo's Not Dead cruise that is taking place at the end of February, literally a day after I finished the UK <laughs> tour with the blackout. I have to leave the bus, the two of us I'm on, and go and fly to Miami with Morgan Richard. Um, so we can, I don't know how any of this is going to work, but fuck it. <laughs> so then we can hop on a boat and then party with all our favourite emo bands from 20 years ago. 
Yeah. Do you think, how many times do you think we're going to hear Lonely Island I'm on a boat? I hope every day. I, that is... But I, I, do you know what? If they let it off every hour, this is a, <laughs> this is a thing to... You know, like Big Ben, like chimes at 12 Aye. o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If at every hour we had, I'm on a boat, that would be fucking class. Auto-tune that. I don't know if you can auto-tune that. <laughs> yeah, we've been invited by Eno's Not Dead Cruise to go and hang out um, for five days from Miami to the Bahamas. <laughs> oh, bro, we are going to look like a right pair of fucking pale tits. We are uh, going to go from being the palest people on, the, on our boat to being the reddest people in two fucking... We're going to come back looking like fucking rock lobsters. Yeah, well, if anyone's ever seen photos of me post-festival season, oh, I burn like a motherfucker. So in the Miami slash Bahamas heat, that's going to be nuts. But yeah, Take so loads it's- of hats. Take loads of hats, please. <laughs> so excited for this. We're going to be with Yellow Card, Story of the Year, Charlotte Sands, Mayday Parade, Medina Lake. The lineup is incredible. Go to emosnotdead.com. You can check out everything to do with them. Look at their videos. Look at the lineup. And um, yeah. It's going to be awesome. Around. Big shout out to um, Dave and Matt Cutchell of Emo's Not Dead for inviting us to come and hang out. We can't wait. It's going to be a fucking blast. You are definitely going to get sunstroke. I'm worried about it already. But yes, I cannot wait. It's going to be a right clap straight from tour onto a fucking plane. <laughs> Rock and roll, baby! Anyway, if you'd like to supply me with hats, please head over to patreon.com forward slash sapnin. It's the best way to support this podcast. We're definitely going to need it now that we're doing this trip. But without any further ado, let's get straight into this. This is the wonderful Gareth Davis on episode 270 of Sapnin Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST.
Sapnin! 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 Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! I'm shaking with excitement. <laughs> <laughs> this week's guest is singer, songwriter, bassist, um, and uh, all-round fantastic human being, Gareth Davis, formerly a funeral for a friend, and dopamine. I've got to get in. Yeah, now we're digging in. Now we're digging in. I mean, listen, Neil, Neil, Sam, uh, and the boys for, from Dopamine would probably say uh, that was a short-lived uh, stint. Yeah. But it, it, I, like, I think it might have been one gig, but it'll work. Sorry, yeah, it oh, that's it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it counts. One gig is a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Yeah, you definitely, definitely allowed some sort of revenue from Dopamine. Not that Neil would let anybody else in on any sort of revenue, but. <laughs> anyway, yeah, what a mad start. What a mad start. <laughs> Gareth, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, 9, 10 in the morning in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, so, yeah, my day is just getting started, but everything's well. I got no complaints. Everything's good, but Nice. Well, we've wanted to do this one for a while. We've been going on about it for probably years uh, at, at this point. But, yeah, I mean, there's so much we want to get into and talk about, but I think it's probably the best bet is to start with one of my favorite moments of 2023 was seeing you come on stage <laughs> with Funeral at this massive arena show in Cardiff playing Roses for the Dead for the first time in 15 years with the guys. Yeah, it had been a minute. It'd been a, yeah, it's disgusting, isn't it? That's a big number. <laughs> That's a big yeah. number. <laughs> How did this whole experience for you? How did all this happen? Just walk us through it. Um, how did it come to pass? Um, let me think. So since, since I'd left the band, it'd been a pretty significant period of time that I hadn't really spoken to any of the guys for a very, very long time. Uh, and it wasn't until probably, I think it was around summertime last year, maybe, maybe just before that, um, that I, I was on Instagram live with my son kicking a football around with my, my youngest son and, uh, Chris guitar player, Shep jumped on and he was like, uh, he's like long time, no speak. And I ended the FaceTime live, ended the Instagram live immediately. And I just FaceTimed him. And I was like, I was like, there's no time like the present. Let's say hello. And that's probably the, that's the first time that Chris and I had spoken, uh, face to face. Like without like, you know, happy birthdays and like hope the family's well periodically over many years. And like we, we sat on, we sat on and chatted for about two hours. And I was ah. like, I was like, look, there's going to be, uh, I said, you know, 20 year anniversaries coming up. Like are there plans? And he's like, there's nothing planned right now. And I was like, all right. I was like, okay. And then like a week, uh, and then a week later, they announced the dates. Uh, so I reached out at that point. At, at that point, I put them all on a group. On I put Darren, Ryan, uh, Chris, and Matt on a group on uh, on Instagram, and I was like, "Look, if there's any any way that I can be a part of it, like I'd love to be a part of it." Um, it's been, it, you know, it was a an abrupt departure, I think, for a lot of people. When I was like, "All right, it's time to go," like I, I like I got I kind of got to call it quits. So for me, there was always that, like my last show with the band, I remember when we were sitting down having a conversation about me stepping away, Chris looked at me and he went, your last show was at one o'clock in the morning in Poland. He goes, that's so disappointing. <laughs> 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 Which is, and it, it was, and it wasn't, 
it wasn't it wasn't the best way to go out to be honest but um uh so like there was a little bit of conversation i was like look i'm gonna fly me and the kids are coming out anyway i'm taking the kids out like once i knew that those dates were in place i was like i was due a trip back to wales anyway i hadn't been back since 2015 since my brother had been married my kid like my youngest son had never been my 14 year old had never been and i was like all right it's time like this this the the timeline just kind of makes sense a little bit and then it was just periodically chatting, like, I'm going to come, I'm going to come to the gig. Like, I'd love to be like, I wasn't going to do the tour. Like there was no conversation mm-hmm. around that, but it was like, let's, let's see if, um, I can just jump up for a tune, like uh, in Cardiff, in the hometown. Um, yes. and just and make it something a little bit more special. Ironically, once, uh, once, you know, I posted that I was on a plane to the UK, like the rumors started to swirl pretty quick and my, <laughs> my inbox and dm started to blow up like are you playing are you playing are you playing i was like no i'm not playing i'm not playing <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not playing i'm just coming to watch the show i'm just coming i'm just gonna come and watch the gig and it'll be it'll be all right and then as we got closer to the time i was like you know can we jump up and do it can i jump up and do a tune and then it, the conversation started as to like well we're in the set and i was like well let's just do something in the encore let's get through like casually dressed and deep in conversation in its entirety you boys play and then i'll jump up for one and then it just seemed to make sense that, I mean, to be honest, it seemed to make sense because Roses for the Dead was the only song I remembered how to play. <laughs> <laughs> that will help, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would yeah. help, yeah. Yeah, lucky you didn't be like, oh, I, I remember the opening song. And then, like, you come over the opening. Yeah, that would no. have been strange, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, you come over the corner. Yeah, that would have been weird. here I am. Anyway, thanks for that. I'm off. What? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, a couple of, a couple of, you know, a couple of practices here at home and just kind of running through the tune again. And I was like, all right, if I stop thinking about it and go into autopilot, I might be all right. I just, uh, we did one run through in soundcheck and I was like, all right, that'll do. And then nice. we'll get up and see how it goes. We'll see it. We'll see how it goes after that. Uh, and I think it went well. I think, I think it was all right. No, yeah. it went very, very well. It went <laughs> fucking awesome. I think it, it was, was right. awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. You were energy. Well, that's the thing because he was in the encore as well. Your energy brought a new energy to the show as well, because like, you know, I'm not saying they were slowing down, but like you came on and you like you were so into fact you were so into it that everybody else was like, Yeah, here we go. <laughs> there was a post on Facebook the following morning that said, uh, Gareth just looked like he, he like the energizer bunny in comparison to everybody else in, in that moment. And I was just like I was like, Well, give him a break. They played for an hour and twenty minutes by the time I did the stage and I've and I've and I've been charging for fifteen years. So like, you know, like <laughs> I was like, You gotta give me like a it's been a minute. It's been a minute. So I had a, I had a, a little bit of energy to dispel. It was good. I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm watching it from the crowd. Everyone else's facial expressions were brilliant because there was a bit where I don't think they expected you to get on the mic. And as the intro was going on, you were just like, everyone, front the back, side to side. I want to see you all move and just <laughs> full of energy. And I just caught like Matt and Chris and stuff just like bursting out with laughter because I just yes. didn't expect you to be like <laughs> right into it. But yeah, how how was that just for you? Because they're stepping back on the stage for the first time in so long. Right. It must have been really emotional having yeah. everyone else with you. But, you know, it's not a small gig either. It's Cardiff. I mean, there's so much to dissect from it. But like, what was that three, four minutes like for you being back on the stage again? And It's incredibly cathartic. I'll tell you that, right? I mean, part of the conversation that I had with Chris was 
I recognize it. And Sean, you, you might relate to this in some ways, right? In, in a sense that for the longest time, right? When you're in a band and you get any kind of acclaim, like you don't get a last name anymore. You become mm. Gareth from Funeral for a Friend, Sean from The Blackout, right? Like you become, you become yeah. that person. So then when you don't do it anymore, there's a little bit of like, well, who am I then? Like, what, what, what do I do now? Right. Yeah. And I think that for a while I became Gareth, the family man. Right. And then eventually became Gareth, the guy that had his job and, and did his thing. And then, but it was always that need to, um, just get back on stage and do something. Right. Like, it's not like Vegas doesn't have necessarily a booming scene as much as it's got a bunch of bands. Like, and to be honest, like, if you'd, if you'd Googled burnt out at the point that I'd left, you know, for a friend, it would have been a picture of me. Like, I was just really tired. I was just really tired and <laughs> just really, and just worn out. So for me, there was something about coming back and doing it in Cardiff. And I think, you know, Ryan and I spoke about this on the night and it was, um, the first show I ever went to see was Metallica, the CIA in 1996 and funeral played the CIA. It was 26 years to the night. No, that, that I got back on stage. <laughs> so there was oh. something really, there's something really cathartic around this concept of like my musical journey and my passion for music began and closed 26 years apart oh, to the wow. day. That's right. so, which is which is wild, right? And for me, like I'm a sentimental, I'm a sentimental prick on the best of occasions, right? So, like for for me, that that resonated in a really big way, and it was a really nice way to kind of close out a chapter. I think for me, that obviously played easily the most significant part of my life, right? Like it was easily, like I, you know, the records still hang on the wall, you know, and, and for, for me to be able to do it in front of my kids as well. We've only ever seen the records. They didn't really have a concept or any idea as to what it was. They were the, what it was. You know, it was, all, it was like, yeah, all right, dad was in a band. Like, oh, I right. roll. <laughs> <laughs> I roll, yeah. Dad was in a band. We get it. All right, all right, grandpa, calm down. So for them to get to witness it as well and see it and, and you know, my parents to come along for the, for the ride as well and, and get to see it one last time was, was a big deal. It was, it was, and I was, listen, was it, was it, was that four and a half minutes fun? Yeah was the three days of the neck, the neck and back and like, <laughs> just, <laughs> like the bang over the bang over. Yeah, was that fun? It's real. No, no. It reminded me that I, it reminded me that I'm 42 and I'm not 25 anymore. I don't get to, I can't run around the stage like that anymore. Um, but would I, I'll do it again tomorrow if, if they asked easy. What was the kid's reaction when you came off stage? Like, uh, my youngest son immediately walked up and he said, daddy will go on Amazon and you buy me a guitar. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. Which was cool, like uh, very cool. Know, like if you can inspire anybody, and you want to be able to inspire your kids on the best of occasions, right? So, my 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 middle son Elliot was was playing drums for a little while, and then he found a baseball bat, and it all went it all went to shit from there. Um, yeah, now we steal him from shop to the baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now he's just like baseball, drums. like now, yeah. now he's just hitting <laughs> drums with a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's got a baseball bat, and now he's the clown in Slipknot. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, can you imagine? Oh, and then, uh, and then Emrys Emrys just caught this little musical bug. So, like, he got uh, his mother bought him a trumpet for Christmas, which lives at Mum's house. I might add, it doesn't live here. Oh God, yeah, that lives, yeah, lives at Mum's house, which is fine. 
but he's got a little musical bug about him. So like if, uh, if some of that was born uh, in Cardiff in the middle of October in 2023, I'll be happy with that. That's mental. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so good. But as you said, like, it's really seemed like there's been different chapters and different versions of you throughout your life. So then when you're able to kind of combine those in one night and actually show the family and the kids what that old version of you, I mean, that must mean more than anything else. Because, yeah, you can show them the records and you can go on YouTube and you can find like the sets from Reading and Leeds and stuff, but it doesn't have the same effect as that being close, right? there. And being like side stage and seeing all those like thousands of people singing along and, and moving and stuff. So yeah, like I'm sure just it, that, that trip itself was just absolutely worthwhile for those oh, yeah. reasons alone. Yeah, a hundred percent. Right. And uh, like my parents were sitting behind the kids. So the family section was at the back of the CIA, like on the red seating. And, um, my parents were sitting behind and videotaped the whole thing. And they zoom out on a couple of occasions. You just see the back of like the back of my kids' heads, and both of them are just like <laughs> nodding and like jamming, jamming along. And I'm like, all right, I'm like, okay, this is this is this is what it this is what it was for, really, right? Like, it was um, it was it lovely to get like the crew back together and and be on stage for a tune. Absolutely, was was it good for my soul? Absolutely, was it was it designed for them to be able to witness it a little bit? Absolutely, like for me at least. Um, as much as it was for, you know, the other 6,000 people in the arena, like uh, it was nice to kind of get back on stage for a minute, but what was even nicer was just walking around the arena, like throughout the entirety of the set and people being completely oblivious and then coming off stage and walking uh-huh. back through the arena and people still being absolutely oblivious. <laughs> 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 like, like Matt doesn't get to do that. Ryan does like, they don't get to walk around the arena beforehand and not be like harassed. It was nice to just kind of get up, like get sweaty for four minutes and then leave the stage and go back and sit down. It's great. No, it was fantastic. And it was really, really good to see you in the day as well. Me and Morgan were at a coffee shop and I was like, oh! yeah. like it, it was like, we see each other all the time. Right. It was, it, yeah, it was like we meet in Cardiff all the time. It was just mad. It was like, oh, Cardiff, what's happening? And then, yeah, they, they, like, oh, yeah, nothing had changed. It's mad. No, nothing, nothing changes, right? Yeah, and I was talking prior to this. I think one of the last times we saw each other in the flesh might have been when the blackout were in Las Vegas, which would have been 2009 Warp Tour, which is 15 years ago. Like, that is mad. Again, again, there's, there's that 15 year number. That's a big number. Mm, like yeah. it's, a, it's a big number and I think it's an interesting one I was in um, conversation with a friend of ours uh, she runs Red Bull Records now in the US so she's part of the marketing department of Red Bull Records in the US and there's this there's this resurgence right now that's happening right like all of all of the albums that were huge to us are all coming up on their like 15 or 20 or 20 year anniversaries whatever it may be right so there's this rekindling of your childhood. People always say that, uh, you know, you'll, you'll listen to the records you listen to between the ages of 18 and 24 for the rest of your life. Like, because they shape, they shape who you are. Right. So when you, when you think about even the people that you meet during those time frames, then yeah, like it'll always be second nature. So I know that I could run into you anywhere and like, and, and it would feel like they would feel like we hadn't seen each other for just a couple of days. And yeah. it doesn't matter what the timeline looks like in reality. 
It was fantastic to see you. And yeah, as soon as I saw you there in the flesh, and I was like, oh, I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the suspicion started to rise. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, the DMs, the DMs followed suit. Yeah, because I work, um, I work with Ryan with Future History Management, and um, yeah, like he never mentioned it. Like I was like, Gareth Blaine, he's like, I don't know what about. And I was like, you know, you can't be keeping a secret, man. This is no fucking happening. Yeah. No poker face, man. Yeah, he's, he's good looking, man. He's good looking. <laughs> if we can, I would like to dive into that time period of your departure from the band sure. originally as well. Because I was um, doing some, uh, some of the research earlier and found the old statement from MySpace. That's so my MySpace was the. Uh, was this the, is this is easily this is easily the oldest podcast you've done this week. <laughs> yeah. Easily. I, well, I was going to put the statement up on Friendster, but I thought it'd have more impact on MySpace. Oh my god, MySpace! Like, oh yeah, on there. Obviously, it was just kind of saying about like traveling, and you said about you know burnout, and obviously you've lived in America for so many years, and moved over there when you were still in the band. So like, right. Yeah. How was that decision for you? And how did it come about of thinking like, I want to step away from this, especially after all the success those three records were having? Well, I think it came, um, I guess the biggest push came from, um, when we were recording memory and humanity, because obviously the boys were going home every night and I'm, I'm in the UK for six, seven, eight weeks at a time. Um, recording the record, sleeping on couches, like wherever, like at my parents' house. And, you know, you're already, I'm already away from my wife. I'm already away from my son. You know, they have lives that they're trying to live at the same time. Right. So I think the decision kind of came to pass through that process a little bit for me, at least it all kind of unfolded one morning. We were getting ready to take pictures for the album cycle. Uh, we were meeting at club Iverbach in Cardiff that morning with Ashley Mayo, uh, who's a phenomenal photographer. I think Unbelievable. You know, it, it, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you own, if you looked at a Krang magazine, anytime for that decade period, like Ashley's work was always in it and, and, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, we lost him several years ago now, but, um, wonderful human. Lovely. And, Great and then, so, yeah, absolutely. And he was, um, we kind of walked into club Eva Bach that morning and, and I was like, <laughs> am I really going to allow these boys to spend all of this money right now for a bunch of pictures that they're not going to be able to use? And I was like, nah, it's going to happen this morning. It is going to happen. So oh, I kind of wow. made a decision. I made a decision on the train ride into Cardiff that morning. So it was it, like, I was like, it's time. Like I hadn't even discussed it with my wife at that point in depth. Like I'd, I'd mentioned that like, it was, we were getting to a place where it was getting exhausting and it was getting tiring. So I remember having the conversation with the boys who were all incredibly supportive and understanding. We'd always had this conversation around the idea of like, um, if any of us ever decided that we were leaving for family, like the rest of us would understand, like we would get it because you do, you get it. Like it, it's not easy being away from, from your loved ones as much as you are when you are on tour as fun as it can be. Right. Like, but it's, it's still challenging. So they were, there was, they were incredibly supportive, incredibly understanding. It was a sad moment. And then I walked out of the, walked out of Club Eva Bar, called our manager, gave him the heads up at the same time. The next call was to my wife. And I was like, I was like, I'm on my way home tomorrow. And I don't know that I'll be leaving for a while. And she's like, what are you? She's like, what are you on about? And I was like, well, 
like this is this just happened kind of thing and she was excited and, and happy of course but she was incredibly sad and like well wait like are you sure yeah and i was like no i was like no but you know we'll figure it out we'll figure it out from here kind of thing you know so um that that's kind of where it stemmed from that's kind of how it all went down uh, and like I said, the boys were incredibly supportive right from the jump and 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 had a, a decent understanding because we'd all discussed it so many times as we had in the past. Like it's not easy to maintain that kind of relation, ma- maintain a, a marriage and a relationship uh, as fun as it can be when you're out on tour. You know, like it's it's a lot. And when you're, when I'm spending, you know, an extra six, eight, nine, like by the time you add in like pre-production for tours and other things, I'm away just a little bit longer than everybody else. It just, you know, pulls on the heartstrings a little bit and it makes it challenging. There was a, it was August 12th uh, of that year that the, the idea kind of sunk into me. And that was when my then four year old son uh, was turning five on August 13th. And he was like, he saw me packing my suitcase to head out on the 12th. And he's like, are you not going to be here for my birthday? And I was like, I'm not going to be here for your birthday. Again. Again. So, like, his second, third, and fourth birthdays, I was like, oh, God, I'm missing your fifth. I was like, hang on a minute. And that's when I started to recognize, all right, this is having a bigger toll on the people around me than it is just me at this point. So, then we recorded the record, uh, did the whole thing, and then kind of called it quits shortly afterward. Like, before, right before the kind of press run started. I was like, all right, it's time to start looking at this a little bit differently, which I think from a timing perspective kind of played out nicely just because you've got a new album being released. You know, Gav joined the band after that, right? Like Gavin joined the band. So it's a fresh face, fresh album, fresh cycle. Like it kind of plays into itself a little bit nicer than just like, you know, middle of an album cycle, just being like, fuck this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, so, um, you know, trying to be thought like tried to be thoughtful about it, tried to be considerate about it. There's no such thing as an ideal time for somebody to step away, right? I think if you ask any of the boys as they've all done it like slowly but surely, even Matt most recently, yeah. right? Yeah. Like there's no such thing as an ideal time for you to kind of walk away from things, but sometimes it just has to be what's right for you as an individual and your family. And I get it. I'll understand it always. I'm trying to work out if every member of Funeral Friend has left at some point. You just, you just made me. Everyone, Chris. Everyone but Chris. Yeah, Chris is the only one who's been in the band the whole time. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. (laughs) Was um, was your first gig at TJ's with them? Um, I don't know that it it might have been TJ's. I think it was TJ's. Then RM's was my second. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I got photos of that. I'm sure I got photos of that on my phone. I guarantee it. Yeah, I guarantee oh, yeah. it. Oh, fucking fantastic! Yeah, because I remember the TJ's gigs. I remember it was the first gig I saw. Well, you were in instead of Andy, and um, right. I, I yeah, I think somebody just made the joke that Andy had gone to Norway to burn churches, and that's yeah, why Matt you were. Said it. <laughs> yeah, Matt said it. So. Um, I don't know that the, the journey of how I ended up in funeral for a friend is, is particularly clear. Um, but, um, I started as their front of house guy. I was their sound guy. Oh, really? Yeah. So they were like, I, I was in college to study music technology and I was like, this would be a fun way for me to kind of practice the craft a little bit and get the hang of this. And I was fucking terrible at it. Terrible. 
so the boys played a show, uh, the old angel in Nottingham. And that was kind of my first time kind of managing the front of the house a little bit, just getting my feet wet, learning the ropes at the same time as this band is, is like on the verge of coming up. Right. This was like this second or third show. It was almost nothing. I met Darren through, um, the open mic night at the monsters in Pondy. Um, oh, I love this. And when, when, <laughs> when he, and, he and Ryan were in trip cage, right? So like the, me- the metal oh! nights, the metal nights, the metal nights at the, at the monsters arms, like no, no limits in terms of their oh, craziness. Right. So trip cage. So met, met Darren through that. Darren played me when Darren left trip cage, um, and started recording demos with him for a friend. He played me a little bit and I was like, I was like, that boy can sing. I was like, this, this boy can sing. I think he played me, um, he might've played me Juno at the time. I think it was Juno or Red is a new black one of the two. And I was like, I've got to be involved somehow. I was like, I've, I've got to find, I've got to find my way to have like to be involved. And, um, you know, he started talking about these shows that were coming up and I was like, well, let me make some few. Why not? Like, you know, like it'll be good practice for me. It's not like they're in huge venues and there's any expectation on it. Like, let's just give that a go. So I traveled with a band for a couple of shows and then they had shows booked, but Andy had his holidays booked. And I was like, they were talking about canceling the shows and I was like, don't cancel them. I said, let me, I'll just play a couple of shows. And that was the TJ's gig. That was the TJ, the TJ's gig. And then RM's was the next one. And I remember like we went into a rehearsal room the day of TJ's like that afternoon just to practice the four or five tunes that they had. And it's funny, you talked about the energy, like the energy when I got on stage in Cardiff, like I remember walking into that room and I was like, you boys better fucking kick off tonight <laughs> because you know, I, I'd seen them play a couple of times, but I was just like, you're all very stationary for as loud and as active as this is. So I remember walking into the room and being like, I was like, you boys better kick off a little bit tonight. Like, I can't, that I can spend, that I can add a little bit of energy to this fucking thing, will you? Because, like, Mebs and Matt were always running around the stage. But I was like, you know, there's, there's more, more to be had here, I think. And, um, and then, yeah, we went, we went, we went and played the, the show at TJ's. And then somebody, I remember somebody yelling, and I thought it was you actually, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yelled, Where's Probably Andy? Was. Oh, Where's no, Andy? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know Andy well enough, and I was probably scared that he was burning my house down at the time. So I'd probably well, he was well according to Matt, he was burning churches in Norway. So <laughs> yeah. like, uh, and, and that and that stuck for as long as I can remember. But I played those couple of shows, and then uh, I remember at, after the RM's gig, just kind of like shaking hands with all the band and just be like, "Oh, I just let me know when the next gig is, look, and then I'll jump back under the front of the house." And they were like, "We'll chat," and I was like, "All right, we'll chat." A couple of weeks later. Like, I, I, like we had a conversation as to like, it, we'd like this to be a permanent fixture. And I was like, funnily enough, so would I. And that <laughs> yeah. was it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know her. I didn't know her. So thank you. Yeah, that's fucking. No, you got it. <clears throat> you got it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long story, but it's a. No, yeah, it's, it's a good end. Basically, yeah. basically, I hijacked some guy's position when he went on holiday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Andy. I really am. Yeah, I was, I was going to say it's a story of if you if you like a band enough, if you just hang around with them and get as close as you can, one day you can eventually be in that band. Yeah, by hook or by crook. Yeah, yeah. If you want to be in Metallica, if you want to be in Metallica, just go hang out with Metallica. You figure it out. Go and hang out until Lars fucking disappears, and then <laughs> yeah. you can probably play those drums, man. He, he can't, yeah. but you know, yeah. Somebody wants, yeah, somebody wants, 
just just wait until one of them wants to go on holiday. That's yeah. all. I'm That's the moral <laughs> of the story. That is the moral of the story. <laughs> yeah, Robert Trujillo will go missing now, and then fucking Andy will turn up. Black metal Andy <laughs> yeah, exactly. will turn up. Uh, exactly. I've come to, I've come to <laughs> fill my righteous place. But we're saying that as well. When you made that decision to depart the band, did you think it would end up being you walking away from music? Or did you, in some point of your mind, think like, no, oh, maybe there'd be a different musical role for me down the line? Um, it was honestly unknown entirely. It's not like there were options like anywhere else. And, and to be honest, it wasn't really anything that I'd considered. I was like, if I wasn't going to be in funeral for a friend, I wasn't really going to do anything. And that's ultimately what I turned into. I was like, I'm just not really going to spend. I'm just going to, what I did was I came home and I was a stay at home dad for two years. And I was like, I've got some, make, I've got some ground to make up here. I've got some making up to do. And that's exactly what I did. I came home as a stay at home dad for a couple of years. And then they started going to school and I was like, All right, this is boring now. <laughs> like, now, now. Now I'm just sitting around the house and I'm a nuisance. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done anything musically at all. Like I haven't, I, I've got the guitars at the house and like I'll pick them up and tinker with them every now and then and I'll like piss around and record some little things myself, but nothing that'll ever see the light of day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a shame. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Listen, listen, you ask any of the boys in funeral, I'm not the songwriter, right? Like I, I, I that's not what I've ever been. Like I, I'll help you arrange your ideas, but I'm not the songwriter. I'm not the guy that's going to originate something. And that was kind of always my place in the in funerals in funerals existence was like maybe this part doesn't work as well as we think it does and we should try something different um, from an arrangement perspective. But I like when I left you know for a friend, there was no plans to be like, all right, where am I going next? It was all right. I'm going to sit on my couch and and spend some time with my family and my kids for the first time in years, which was important. That was essential at the time for sure. Very much, yeah, very much. Well, well let's talk about just like life since the band because you know i'm sure there's so many people listening to this wondering what you have been up to for the last 15 years really and especially living in america and you know yeah how's american life how's just being a welsh guy out in, this, <laughs> yeah, out in the states uh, and being a welsh guy in america generally involves me repeating my name at least twice <laughs> yep at least twice garrett no not garrett not garrett Gar gareth th Oh, and then spelling it for people endlessly. Like, <laughs> they got to the point that um, anytime somebody would call and they'd be, uh, or I would be on the phone with somebody explaining who, like, I'd be like, my name's Gareth. My son in the back would spell my name for them in the back of the car or in the background. <laughs> like, that's just, that's just that. Um, but no, I've been in, I've been in Vegas the entire time, which is unique in its own way, right? Like, uh, my, uh, my lady and I were driving down, uh, driving down the freeway a couple of days ago. And like, and I said, then like, it, it still blows me away that I drive down and Las Vegas Boulevard is on my left hand side, like every, almost, every, almost every day. Right. Like I said, I came home, I was a stay at home dad for a couple of years and I was like, all right, well, who's going to hire the guy that's never really had a job. Like I'd worked at the, I, I was, Start a podcast, fella. Start a podcast. That's right. <laughs> start, 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 start a podcast. He says, start a, <laughs> sure. Um, uh, so I was like, what, like, what am I going to do? Technology for many, many years. I've been using the computers and, you know, I remember 
much like most people do dropping an entire 150 disc set because we you know we would be on tour with 150 CDs on you just to listen to the things you wanted to I remember dropping that in a bin somewhere in Tokyo after I bought an iPod <clears throat> and I was wow. like all right well I was like so you know I've helped a lot of people understand what Apple technology does and, and how it works and how it functions and I was like I'll apply for a job at Apple and then I worked there for 15 years oh I've wow been, I've been yeah, I worked at Apple for 15 years in a variety of different formats, mostly in the retail stores. Um, I did I did some of their um, like customer experience design stuff for a little while and like customer experience um, products. But yeah, that was it really. And now I work at Gucci of all places. I work for Gucci now. Which what? Is great. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I no, yeah, I had no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah, say when. Say when. Let me know. <laughs> Just let me know. Right, hey. Let me know, Sean. Yeah, so I've been, I've been, I've been a, I've been a I Gucci go on now. Tour, so. I go on tour at the end of the month. Next month, I need, I need a big, I need a big silly jacket. I need a big need silly gayish jacket. Yeah, I've got all, I got all the silliest jackets. So now I run, um, now I run the single largest, single largest menswear department in the United States. That's wow. fucking class. Wild, gucky like he's in gucky. Works for gucky. Works for Gucky, he does. Lovely. You can't come out of South Wales and call him by his actual name. Come on. No. Gucky. No, oh, but Gucky, no, he's in. You can't believe it. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, I've been, so basically, I've just been working nine to five retail jobs ever since, like, for the most part, since I left. But how did I, yeah, how did you go from Apple to Gucky, uh, Gucci? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, ultimately, Apple's kind of the front runner when it comes to Christ, everything for the most part, right? Like it's the number one company in the world for a reason. And when you help run their stores for as long as I did, the demand's pretty high for, for, for like retail management and retail people to kind of be involved in any capacity uh, and almost any other brand. So then uh, conversations came up with Gucci. They were opening a new location at the Wynn. So I'm in a casino like 24-7, like 24-7 for the most part. But, you know, the Wynn is the number one casino in in America, right? Like it, it provides them, and you know, and I explain it to people all the time. They build these casinos. For those that haven't been to Las Vegas, they build these casinos like cruise ships. You have the best food, the best entertainment, the best hotels, the best beds, the best shower, like the best like utilities, the best spas, like the best shopping, all built into one building. Like they're designed for you to walk in and basically never leave because then you just spend money on their property, right? So. So the expectation, like with the win having like the highest client, like the highest paying clientele in, in, in all of Las Vegas, for the most part, the expectation on Gucci was that they provide the highest possible client experience. And I came from a brand that was able to provide that and, and learned a lot through that process and was able to kind of bring it to Gucci now instead, which is good. Wow. So yeah, wow. very, very different, play. very, very different. Like That's cool as fuck though. That's super yeah. cool. It's it's cool, but it's not very rock and roll. But it's kind of rock and roll, and it's oh. not very cool, but it's kind of cool. So like, no, it, yeah, no, no, it, it's cool. cool and rock and roll, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock yeah. and roll isn't rock and roll anymore, and that's uh, <laughs> and, and that's it hasn't been rock yeah. and roll for a long time. No, yeah, yeah. When they all started miming and playing the track, that's when um, rock and roll started <laughs> to die. Um, had many rappers? Have you had many rappers in? Uh, yes. Yeah. A lot. Yes, Can you talk about them or was it some sort of claim? Not really, no. I mean shit. I mean I'll tell Missy Elliott is a lot shorter than you think she is. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I was just going to say, can, can you tell us who they rhyme with instead? Does that does that work? Or is <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> see, that that would that would be taking me that would be taking me for a lyricist, wouldn't it? That is true. Have you heard of a rapper called? It rhymes with Gem and M. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, m- like at that kind of level, they don't do their own shopping. Yeah. They, send yeah. this, they send they send the stylists in, right? So, like, how many people have I outfitted? Oh my lord! Um, I mean, I had a suit from Ryan Gosling. I had a suit for Ryan Gosling a couple of days ago. What? John John Ham John Ham is a regular customer of ours. So, if you're a fan of Mad Men. Yeah. Um, ah, this is classic. Like, <laughs> again, again, we carry we carry the largest the largest selection in the United States. So I'm a shipping hub for most places. Like if it walks the run if it walks the runway for Gucci, it's in my store. So if wow. like, you're you're a runway fiend, like I'm I'm your Huckleberry. Like so, like I, I keep it. I have I have lots of lots of contact through third parties with these people, but I don't necessarily engage in person. Like, which is fine. I can't get yeah. This is fucking mad. You can't you can't wrap your head around it. I, no, me, I the, never, me the most days. Me the most days. <laughs> the amount of people listening to this, it would be like the the trajectory from one industry to the other. I mean, like that journey. That journey, people are just not gonna believe. No, I've lived many lives and I'm still I'm still I'm still only forty two, but I feel fifty I, I feel sixty-eight. Like if I'm any like I felt like my body is tired <laughs> and my brain is even more tired. They've all, been, all fucking, been successful, dude. Yeah, it's all been no, they've all been yeah. yeah, they've all been cool and radical. Like there's no that's not a sh- you know, there's not a crap job there. No, nothing nothing's been boring. No, nothing's nah. nothing's been boring for sure. Like at, at no point have I been well, I mean, listen, I mean technically you could take Apple for what it is, right? But essentially I was a cell phone salesman. I was a mobile phone salesman. That's <laughs> really, yeah, really what like I was doing, the right? Biggest company in the world, you're on the fucking pulse of technology. Nah, you're all right, guy. Uh, you're all right, but yeah, I've, uh, yeah, we're doing yeah. fine. We're doing fine. Sean Smith approved. That is Sean Smith approved job. Sean, Sean Smith approved. I'll take it. There, you, there go. you go. Yeah, but bear in mind, Sean couldn't get a job fucking anywhere, so anything <laughs> was probably going to be a Sean <laughs> Smith approved job. But but like, but, but but I think uh, for anybody that leaves like leaves a stage, there is that moment of oh fuck, what next? Right, like, and and I don't know that it comes naturally to anybody. Right, like we all. We all try and stay in the industry in one way, shape, or form, right? Like we try to dabble our hands in management, or we like we'll try like stepping into the studio, stepping into the production side of things, right? And none of it feels natural, though. None of it feels just none of it's just like duck to water. You all have to you, you still have to relearn and reinvent yourself in in some way, shape, or form. And, and like going back to the conversation I had with Chris, like that was a significant part of it. But that was that was probably the most significant part of that conversation for the two of us was helping to identify like. Like you, you do go through that identity crisis at a pretty significant level, and and listen, and, it, and it and it takes its toll on people in very very different ways. Some people just just let it be, and I think some people really struggled with it. I, I think I struggled with it. Looking back on it now, in retrospect, I probably struggled with it for much longer than I needed to. Um, you know, not to turn this into a mental health podcast no, by any means, no. right? But, hey, please but, do, but let, please but, do. But it's but but it's a real that's a real challenge that I think a lot of people face and. You know, I was in, I've had conversations with, with, uh, many guys from many bands over many years at this point now that have, you know, stepped away from it or found that their career path has taken a very different place. And, 
you, when you start a band, you don't think you're going to do it for the rest of your life. And then you get to a point where you're just like, I might do this for the rest of my life. And then you get to a point where you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, so, but that's what, that's what living really is, right? It's like, how do you, how do you play, play the cards you dealt? And then you kind of take it from there, right? But we had, um, yeah, we did a live one of these um, from Download Festival and we had um, Bob on from the Blackout. It's cop out, yeah. Dennis. Just my friend, for my friend, he could turn up. <laughs> cop out. I mean, yeah, you've got his mobile number. It's cheating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said the same things. Like, he said the same things. Like, when, when the blackout um, failed and we uh, we quit, like, he was lost for ages. Like, failed. Failed is failed's a little harsh there, Sean. Nah, it's fair not. Self, nah, I failed. Fair, fair, no, self, no. fair self-talk. Come on now. No, put out, no, put out a record nobody liked. Failed. It's a fail. It's a fail. Yeah, Bob for ages was like, I'm just fucking Bob from the blackout. Like, what what do I do now? And like he did some, um, I think he was he worked in Nissan for a little bit and stuff like that. And yeah, it never really, it never it. Well, it took him a while to kind of mourn leaving the band. I guess like it yeah. was. I think to be honest, other than me, I think it hurt him most in the band um, when we called it a day because I think everybody else was kind of already in place for other jobs and stuff and right. Whereas me and Bob were just like, ah, what's happened? And I was like, ah, was like I don't know. Yeah, I can't, I can't be a chopsy knob on stage anyway. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know where I live anymore. I don't I, know what's I going on here. I don't know what to do myself. Yeah, and, and listen, I think that that was probably the biggest thing for me in getting back on stage with the boys in October, right? Was that idea of like, all right, closure of the chapter now. Like a, a, a good official closure where it didn't happen behind closed doors. Like it was like just validation that there's no hard feelings and everything is great. Like you do, you, you mentioned it just now, like the mourning that comes with that. I mourned not being in funeral for a friend for a decade and then some probably in retrospect. Right. But it took, took getting back on stage to be able to recognize that a little bit. And then, uh, you know, just a lot of writing things down and just getting it out of my system a little bit. Right. So it was, it was more cathartic, for me that I think any of the boys realistically knew or, or that we'd really spoken about in any depth because, you know, it, it wasn't as much as I make it sound like a really light decision to leave the band and it was off the cuff. Um, it wasn't an easy decision. It was a tear. Like, listen, when I was standing there crying in front of them in club, Eva Bach, like letting them know I was stepping away. I hope they recognized that it wasn't a simple choice by any means. And, you know, there were aspects of it that I probably regretted over the years in terms of how and when it happened, but it had to happen for me to be able to survive. <laughs> to yeah. be perfectly honest, like that was really the reality of it. No, it makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. But I, we seriously appreciate you being so open with that because yeah, people have talked so many times about this, that like, kind of after band moment. And I think for a lot of people, you know, when they kind of leave the music industry, it's very easy enough to kind of shut yourself away from it and just be like, you know, I don't want to know what's going on anymore with music or anything like that. But it seems like you've kind of had like a, a healthier relationship within being a, a fan of music, still having the guitars on the wall and, and picking them up every now and again, to just kind of uh, as a hobby more than anything. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, listen, I'm a worse, I'm a much worse guitar player now than I was, obviously. Right? Like, I don't think, I don't think, and I wasn't great then, if I'm honest. Like, I wasn't great at the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, this, it, it's taken a long time. For a long time, like, the records weren't on the wall. 
and the guitars the guitars were in, in a closet like tucked away somewhere and it was kind of like all right i'm gonna i have to kind of forget that period of my life and kind of move forward in, into something different right but if um age has taught me anything and time has taught me anything is that you can't really forget those moments and it's important to hold on to them for like they are they are what they are and they're great memories my only regret is i don't remember as much as i should like like there's so much of it like when the boys released the um the vinyl box set and it had all of the pictures and like it had a bunch of photos inside of like inside the cover and there's like the interviews with all of us i read that and like and things came back to me just by reading that that the boys were talking about that i just couldn't remember like i i just i totally forgotten and like just huge chunks of time just completely like cut out and blacked out from my memory. So, you know, again, getting back on stage with them in October was it, it opened so many memory boxes and like, and so much I can look back on with a, a bunch of pride and, and, and feel really good about when for so long, I just tried to forget as much as I could because it was, there was so much like trauma associated with the idea of leaving all of that behind. You know, I remember having a conversation with my with my folks, with my parents, right, about like when I was stepping away, and they were like, "Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you like? What are you like? What are you walking away? like?" And and for even like the close my closest friends were like, "Like, what are you doing? Like, you're walking away from this." And I'm like, "Yeah, but like, there's there's what you see, hmm. and then there's the reality, oh, everything, man. everything else that goes on behind that, right?" So, um one just started to outweigh the other a little bit. And I was like, all right, do I, did I miss performing? Yeah. Like, you know, there's a reason why getting into a microphone and screaming into that microphone <laughs> in the first 30 <laughs> seconds that I was on stage, like there's 15 years of pent up, like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, like, because this is like, if being in a band was just performing, I'd still be doing it, but it's not right. Like there's, there's, there's more to it than that. And I think, you know, there are, there are a lot of bands out there that don't get that opportunity that are really great performers and do incredible, incredible things. But I think, you know, right place, right time for Fiddle for a Friend was a really big deal. Uh, right place, right time, right songs changed everything. Um, and, you know, I, I get to look back on that time now as a, as a really significant privilege in my life. And uh, it was a privilege to be a part of Fiddle for a Friend for as long as I was. A real privilege for it. Nice. Do you remember the first show where you were like, "Oh, we've got this fucking piece of this is this is it now." Uh, yeah, it was. It's funny. I was telling this story to somebody recently because, again, all of this has kind of come up again for me recently, right? So it's just part of my conversation, pretty consistently. <laughs> mainly my therapist, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, mainly my therapist. Um, but um, the first like. Oh fuck! Hang on a minute. We might be onto something here. Was um, the first Reading Festival that we played? Um, we opened the Concrete Jungle stage, and we was uh, the gates. The gates for Reading opened at eleven thirty in the morning. We were supposed to be on stage at eleven forty. We were the first band on, and and the lineup that day was ridiculous. It was Poison the Well. Thrice was on stage that day. Like it was just all of like all of the bands that we listened to when we were on tour and we were just like, this is going to be, a, this is going to be a ton of fun. But we also recognize the fact that like, like who, who are we? Like, we're like, who are we? Like, no one's going to, like, who's going to come, who's going to be rushing to the stage to watch, you know, for a friend play at 1140 in the morning. 
<laughs> well, Thousands of people. Well, I mean, the, con- the Concrete Jungle tent held about 2,000 people. And it was 11.40, and there were maybe nine people standing out front. And we were like, we'll cut a song from the set. And then, like, just give some people some time to trickle in. And then, like, so let's go, let's go have a piss. And we'll come back to the stage. Like, go grab a, like, go grab a drink. Like, run down to the dressing room. Go have a piss if you want. And then we'll come back to the stage. We'll meet back here in five minutes. And then five minutes later, there were four, four to 5,000 people trying to get into a 2,000-person wow. tent. And I think it was as we walked out onto the stage, I was like, as we walked out onto the stage. And, you know, it's a festival. So you kind of anticipate that most people are going to be there waiting for thrice poison the well like like the movie life any anybody who was anybody at the time that's going to be on that stage later in the day like they they had to see them and then when we walk out on stage and the entire audience is erupting you're like oh hang on a minute (laughs) oh fucking hell hang on hang on they're here for us this is weird yeah Oh my god! They think then, they think we're poisoning the well, and we've gone on early. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like I don't know what's going on. Um, and then we played the show, and they were like, literally, there were people climbing the rafters to the tent and like stage diving, and and like there was just so much energy for eleven forty on a Saturday morning in Reading that you know we walked off stage, and, we, and there was a little bit of like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what just happened? Because the tent emptied afterwards, and then and then at that point you have to think to yourself like, oh, hang on a minute, so we're onto something here. Like something started to make sense. So that was, and then to come back a year later and headline the second stage at Redden just kind of showed the growth of everything, right? And mm. we got presented like right before we went on stage in front of all of our family and friends, and the second uh, headlining the Radio One stage. Um, our management company gave us the gold records for casually dressed in deep in uh, conversation wow. literally, literally right before we went on stage so we went Good on stage timing, Craig. brilliant CJ flawless execution buddy. <laughs> unbelievable um, but like you know walking out on walking out you know to, to a tent of 2,000 plus to a tent of 20,000 plus in a 12 month time frame was wild absolutely wild but I think it all started like for me, that was the, that was the first, Oh shit moment was the concrete jungle stage at Reading for sure. Nice. And uh, what was the, um, what was the weirdest show that you've ever done or played somewhere? <laughs> um, there's a lot of those. Um, yeah. I'll tell you mine. Mine was, uh, the blackout one supported Linkin Park in Madrid in a bull ring, the theater of death. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a very uh, good one. Did, Nobody died. Did you ever play the auto bar in um, Baltimore? No, no, we didn't. Uh... It's the armpit of America, basically. Oh, <laughs> nice. It it's the only. It's the only place that I've ever like. We went. We walked down the street to get a subway sandwich, and it was the only place that I'd ever been given a subway from behind bulletproof glass like under <laughs> like like a bank oh. like slide like like it was just very very sketchy but we played there with Avenge sevenfold yeah we did we did a, a we did a string of like we did seven shows with my chemical romance Avenge sevenfold and us Oof. um I this was any before i mean this was before any this before either of those other two bands were were massive uh, and we were playing 200 capacity clubs to maybe 50 people a night. Jeez, nuts. That's maybe mad, 50 it? people. Yeah. Just drinking like fish before we went on stage. <laughs> just, yeah. uh, it was, yeah, weird. And uh, like all US based shows, but no, we've played some pretty, 
pretty weird ones. I mean, I mean, like I said, the last gig I played in Poland at one o'clock in the morning was a pretty strange one to play to, to people that had no idea who we were for the most part. Um, most of the times, most of the shows that we played in the U S were always really interesting because it was always like maybe 10 to 15 people that knew who we were. And then we'd come home and play in the UK to like That's a motor point, ar- a mo- a motor point arena. And you're like, hang on a yeah. minute. Like the, con- the contrasting difference between those two is always extreme. But in terms of weird, I mean, the weird, the, the, definitely the most like what the fuck venue was also in Poland. We played in Warsaw with, uh, Iron Maiden. And I think, I actually think one of the boys recited, like has told this story before, but we walked, so it was an old bus depot for Nazi Germany. Mm. And we, and we walked out on stage and they were like, and I think, I think, what, I think it might've been Ryan and Darren that told this story or, or, or one or Chris or, or Matt, to be honest. I don't know. One of them. <laughs> I've, I've listened, I've listened to them all. I've listened oh, to all the podcasts, shit. right? Yeah. But one of them told the story, but I think they underplayed it a bit because, um, from what I can remember that swastika took up the entirety of the roof. Uh, but you, you walk out on stage and it, and it, it must've been like 125 feet by 125 feet. It's massive. Absolutely Jesus huge. Christ. And you walk out on stage and you just look like, you can't help, but look up at it and just be like, what the fuck? Like, Oh my God. Um, definitely, definitely the most humbling room that I've ever stood in. To just to be yeah. like, Oh my God, this is wild. Absolutely wild. We're not in the Vic in Ponty anymore. <laughs> no, this is not the monsters. Yeah. No, not the monsters' no. arms. Uh, unless you go into the toilet and then there's swastikas all over the toilet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then they're all over the place. Oh, Jesus God. Christ. But, but no, I, as you said, I think you know, there was a combination of so much and just so much love for the success the band had. But yeah, right place, right time, right songs. Yeah. And according to Darren, fib into record labels. A lot of that as well. Bending the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, we were lying. We just bent the truth to our favor a little bit. But yeah, yeah, that, that, I, I remember listening to that and, and having a good belly laugh when he was, tell, when he was telling you boys about it. Cause, cause that, that, that's, that was just the facts. You know, they were just like, yeah, how many songs have you got? We're like, oh, we got like 30. We got like 30 ready to go. And we had nothing. We had, we had almost nothing. So like I'll, most of the songs that you hear on Casually Dressed, you know, other than like She Drove Me to Daytime Television, I think um, whatever hadn't appeared on the EP previously, like I remember Novella being written in the studio, Kiss and Makeup was already on the EP prior, it was already on Seven Ways. But yeah, a lot of the, so- a lot of the songs on Casually Dressed and probably a couple that became songs on Ours the songs that we were scrambling to kind of put together last minute just to be like, you know, cause we're locked in chapel studios then, you know, in, uh, just outside of, I think it's like North of Norwich at this point. And we were, we were locked in there just trying to come up with ideas because, you know, and I think that was, that's what a lot of people don't recognize about funeral for a friend and why casually dressed is so different than a lot of people's other, uh, than a lot of other bands debut records is most, most bands have the entire life to write their debut album. We didn't, yeah. <laughs> nah. we didn't, we had a very, very quick turnaround time and a, and a very short period of time. So for casual dress to be as revered as it is for us is a really big deal because we were still learning how to be a band. 
like we we were still we were still learning how to write songs together because when I joined the band, ten forty five Amsterdam conversations, Juno, Red is the New Black, and the Art of American Football, mm. I had nothing to do with. Like I had absolutely no part. Like the first song that I was involved uh, in the writing of was this year's Most Open Heartbreak. Nice. Like, Ripper. Um, Ripper, though. Uh, Good uh, Banger. Yeah, banger. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, banger. Good. One of the best sure. intros. One of the best intros, I always say. One of the best intros. Yeah. I don't know why they've ever started sure. with a different song. I don't know why they it's, like it's it's really solid until the bass starts and then it all goes and then it all changes. <laughs> 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 um but um so like we were still learning how to be a band and how to write songs and like uh, what did that look like for us? Especially since I didn't have a hardcore music background whatsoever. Like I was the indie kid. I, I grew up listening to indie music the whole time, right? So did I have an appreciation for rock and heavier music? Of course. Could I like, was I listening to helmet and listening to refused and the same, like, and all these other bands that like, I was discovering these bands as we were sitting in a van driving around to, from venue to venue. Right. So it was all new to me. And then this concept of a scene and like, what, what is this scene like? And, and, and how, and frankly fickle that scene was like, was so foreign to me. Like I had no concept or understanding of any of that because that's just not the scene that I grew up in. It just wasn't what it was. So I was learning a lot of that as we were going. Um, and we were still learning what we wanted to sound like, which is why I think between casually dressed hours, tales don't tell themselves memory and humanity, like this, there's such a difference in the way those records sound. It's still funeral for a friend at its core in a lot of ways. Right. But even track, track to track, like, there's influences from so many different places because I think we're still learning how to be a band years and in, years into this um, and learning how, like what we, what our sound was. And in retrospect, I think if we look back on it, that's what, you know, for a friend's sound was, it was eclectic and it was a little bit of, 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 of influence kind of drawn from many, many different places. But yeah, it, it was a lot of experimentation while we were kind of learning and going and, to, to the original point, like bullshitting record labels to people, like, <laughs> to, to, like to, to see, to see what, to see what happened next. Right. Yeah. So, um, we were experimenting as much as anybody else was, I think during that time. Well, this is one of the things I wanted to mention really, as we start winding down on this conversation here, I mean, you know, at the start you were saying about, it's funny seeing 15, 20 year anniversaries for stuff and just the kind of nostalgia trip everything around that at the moment but talking about the differences between those records as well i think especially the first two casually dressed and hours is seen by so many bands in the scene today and they're kind of like the generation before it's such influential kind of getting them into everything and yeah i mean yeah you've talked about how fucking busy those periods were and how much burnout must have been during all of it but is there anything you kind of reflect on with those records in particular about either just touring them or the songwriting or just seeing the reactions that kind of always stick out to you in a, a kind of positive light. Well, I mean, it's all positive, right? As mm. much as I talk about, like, as much as I talk about burnout, like you ask any artist, you ask any band that's been on tour for nine weeks, what they want to do. And they <laughs> tell you, I want to go home. Of course. Tell yeah. you, I want to go home. Yeah, yeah. And then, Three days after being home, they'll be like, what do you want to do? You're like, I want to go back on the road. Like, I'm ready to go now. Right? Like, so I think a lot of that, 
a lot of that existed after I left the band, right? Where I was just like, oh, I kind of want to go back out and do this. But, you know, that boat has sailed. Um, so it was, when I look back on those times, I, it, it was so much fucking fun. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. And, but the creative process itself was easily the most exciting part in all of it, right? Like if, if being in a band was just being in a studio and then being on stage and then being in a studio and being on stage, like that would... Like I said, I'd do this. For, I would have done it for the rest of my life. It would have been easy. So even recording hours, I just think about some of the experiences we had when recording hours, like the studios that we sat in um, were absolutely legendary. You know, like um, Bad Animal Studio in Seattle is where we recorded the first half of hours. And then uh, we actually ended up getting moved from that studio because Pearl Jam had time booked. And then <laughs> deep Pearl Jam sick of it and then oh well uh, but then we went into pearl jam's personal studio to record record the second half i'm not sick of it i'm back in i'm back in with pearl jam um, yeah i'm back in with pearl jam right? like, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, if they've got their own studio why are they kicking you out of a different <laughs> <laughs> well because the, so so the, so the drum room the ah, drum room okay. at bad animal studio is second to almost nothing like when you th- you think about when you, if I was, if I was to ask you, what's the one of the best drum intros to a record you've ever heard? Like White Pony and the Deftones is definitely one of them, right? Yeah. Like that drum, that drum was recorded in that room, right? Like, like, that- sort of like just the the initial kick of that drum when it kicks in, you're just like, oh, it just sounds so ridiculously amazing, right? So, and th- that that studio is steeped in history and steeped in heritage, right? Like they have a parquet floor um, in the drum room. And in the corner, it's just smashed to pieces. And it's been that way since uh, Bad Motor Finger was recorded. Because wow. any, t- any time a vocal take was messed up, Chris Cornell would smash bar stools on the floor in that corner. Any time that he got frustrated and, and would take it out on this parquet floor. Fucking and up. that is what sits in that, in that room as part of the history, right? So we got to sit there and, and record a record in that room and have a ton of fun with it. And then when Pearl Jam came in to record drums for that record that they were working on, we went to record in Pearl Jam's studio, like with, like an, which was much smaller in comparison and is actually built into the back of a, a laundromat, which is the most least, it's the most unsuspecting building in Seattle possible. Um, and there was a guy out there, and I remember there was a homeless guy that was out there who would just stack rocks endlessly. Like, like six feet high, he would just be stacking just all of these different size rocks on top of each other. And like just lots and lots of really cool little memories. Like when we mixed ours, we went down to Los Angeles. We were w- recording with Terry Date at the time. And then Rex, the bass player for Pantera came in to like chat and like we sat down and had coffee with Rex, had a beer with Rex in the middle. Like just so many just like what the fuck moments, um, that I get to look back on during that entire period of time. Like, and that doesn't even include the shows that mm. doesn't include the travel. That doesn't include going to Japan for the first time, going to Australia and still watching people sing songs back to you as like easily one of the best experiences that, that any, any band will ever tell you it exists on the planet for them. Right. It's to go to the furthest reaches of this, of this globe that we're the spinning space dust that we're on. Right. And yeah, that's, apparently. And I have to say, apparently, <laughs> flat earth kicking off in a big way. So, 
I'm saving face. I'm saving face now because you know. Yeah, save, save face. Just close the comment section. That's <laughs> a, close, close, close the comment section into this, but like, like that doesn't even include like even like some of the crazier highlights. Like, but it's the, it's honestly just like the little moments that I miss. The senses of camaraderie when you're sitting in the studio listening back to a record you've slaved over for you know three months, four months, five months. And sitting there doing playbacks and listening to tunes and just being like, "Yeah, this is going to be all right." Those are the, those are the things that I miss more than anything else. I, I, I tell people often the one thing that I miss more than absolutely anything um, that is easily the most addictive part in being in the band is two minutes before showtime, standing behind the curtain, you've got your guitar strapped on you, and you can hear the crowd just chatting. And then the house lights go down, the house lights go down and the roar goes up. Like that moment alone, um, I, I miss that more than anything. Like that's, that's, that is the fucking moment because in that moment, you just don't know what's coming next. You don't know if the show is going to be amazing. You don't know if it's going to be dog shit. You don't know if you're going to, you don't know if you're going to break a string. You don't know if you're going to fall off the stage. You don't know if the crowd's going to love it or they're going to like, or they're going to stand back and hate it. Right. And, for me, that'll always be uh, easily the most exciting moment of any show. Like, forget forget the encore, forget any of that. It's the two minutes before walking on stage. You just have this sense of camaraderie. You're all just looking at each other like, all right, time to dial in, time to focus <laughs> up, and it's showtime, you know? that that's, that's, like, there's so many moments, I think, to go back to the original question of, like, you get to look back on fondly. And and those are just a handful of them now that yeah. I think about. Yeah. Well, so yeah, literally, so much happened in those six years, man. So much happened. But super appreciate you going down memory lane and just sharing all these of stories. With My us. pleasure. Um, before you go, I want to leave you with one last question. Obviously, you've said about different versions. You've led. You've lived a lot of different lives. When the conversation comes up that you used to be in the band and you talk to people about what your role in funeral was is there one song in particular you show them oh uh, there is i play um i either play roses for the dead or escape artists never die and and there's it's funny i got teary-eyed talking about it recently there's um what the one memory that i will take with me to my grave is we were writing escape artists never die and we're we were in Darren's garage in Porth in a tiny little cramped space, Ryan with his little drum machine that he's spoken about on the, on the show. <laughs> I know he's spoken about it on the podcast before. And we're sitting there and we're writing this and it comes to the point that you've got the, the, the middle eight, right? So you've got the middle part of the song where it breaks and then the song transitions entirely. There was a moment where like we all struck the open, like the open C sharp chord, and then we look around and we're like, okay, so where does the song go from here? And then, like, you, you, you get to the dun dun, dun dun, dun dun, dun dun, and then the bass slide, like the bass slides in, and then like that bass line picks up. Um, I'll never forget the shit eating grin on Chris, Darren, Ryan, and mine's face when we sat there and we were writing that part of the tune. And this is before Matt even started thinking like this is before Matt started with please someone help me. Right. Like it was that, that fucking moment was just, um, it was just 
so pure and it's like, oh God, this is fucking great. Like this part is fucking great. And I play that to people all the time now still with a huge sense of pride always because that moment specifically will always stand out to me as like a, I don't want this. I don't want this moment to end kind of thing. Like, I just don't want this moment to end, but we get to look back on it as like a pretty pivotal time. I, I look at it with I look at it with a lot of love in my heart for sure, no doubt. Thank you for sharing that. I really that that was beautiful. No, you got Thank it, you, man. Thank you, you got it. <laughs> of course, fellas, no worries. Honestly, this has been lovely. I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. It's been way overdue, but yeah, dude, super appreciate it. It was so nice seeing you in the flesh in Cardiff, and yeah, I'm hoping we get to reminisce more sometime soon. We'll bump into you, for and sure. um, I'm you know sure Sean will say this, but if you ever need someone to model gucci stuff at a festival <laughs> or- <laughs> oh next time next time you're in vegas next time you're in vegas stop in i'll suit you up you'll be lovely next time fuck yeah next time gucci is on the downward and they're like oh, li- literally nobody will pose for us who can we get <laughs> go oh i know two ugly boys from south wales who bad, can do it if you're up bad, for it bad bunnies unavailable sorry yeah, yeah, bad, bunny. Yeah. bad bunny can't make it what's sean up to right now let's yeah. <laughs> Uh, but in all in all seriousness, boys, I've I've listened to every single podcast you've put out. Oh wow! Uh, Cheers. Since, Thank since you. you started it, I, I've oh wow! Since, Sorry about since, that. Since double since one, that's fine. Like, listen, it, it's free. You get you put it up for free. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but like, um, it's it is easily one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Like, thanks for putting it together every single week. I know it's not. Listen, I know it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy work. It's difficult to do. Um, but you make it look effortless. It's a ton of fun to listen to. And, uh, uh, as a, as, as a Welsh boy that doesn't get to surround himself with Welsh people, particularly often, it is a, a nice reminder of home for me. So, uh, keep keep, love listening, love listening. Yeah. That means a lot, man. That means a lot. Thank you. Yes. Cheers, bud. Thank you very much. Ta-da. Tidy. Ta-da, boys. Ta-da. 
That was the fantastic Gareth Davis, formerly often of a friend, now very much of Gucci. (laughs) Who who had that on their bingo card? That is amazing. You and I were so surprised when he said that. Literally had no idea. Yeah, I thought he was doing real estate or something like that. Like, I was convinced. (laughs) Um, You know, being a suave, good-looking fucker and stuff, I thought he would have gone straight to real estate. But no, apparently, Gucci fucking snapped him up. Unbelievable. The house of Gucci came along and went, that handsome bastard, please. Absolutely class. I I just couldn't get over it. When he told me, I couldn't get over it. And obviously, I went super Welsh. So, um, yeah, congratulations to Gareth. Brilliant fucking story. Um, very, very insightful. I didn't know most of the stuff he mentioned mm. behind the scenes of film for a friend. So it was absolutely fucking great to hear that. And um, I'm a big fan of Gareth and his family. So thank you very much, Gareth, for giving us the time. We love you. Yeah, it's just really nice getting different kind of stories and behind the scenes look at every different aspect of the industry. And that's why we like just love doing this podcast, really. And I mean, it's so good to see him go back on for one song at that Cardiff gig in October and just getting to catch up and see him in the flesh and everything like that as well was was very nice and very wholesome. So he, he did tell us off, off air that uh, he's, he's going to come into the UK for a solo trip himself um, at some point. So maybe we can do some more stuff with him then as well. Um, we should send our love to the whole Funeral for a Friend family, really, oh, because a couple so. of weeks ago... Uh, they did announce that Matt has decided to step away from the band now. Yes. Um, but the guys are going to continue and p- potentially write some new music, which is something yeah. I didn't see coming. Well, yeah. Well, uh, what's crazy is um, at the, that Cardiff show that Gareth played with, I was convinced in my mind that that was Film for <laughs> Friends' last ever Cardiff gig. So I sent Ryan Richards a big old soppy message. If this is your last gig, please tell yourself and the boys that if it wasn't for you guys, there'd be no fucking the blackout. And, oh, you've been so inspiring. So it turns out I was wrong to send that. So I made myself <laughs> look like a fucking chump. So that's fucking stupid. But yes, for Slam Dunk 2024, um, which will be featuring the blackout, Head Automatica, Yumiya 6, but will also feature Funeral for a Friend featuring... Our very, very lovely former guest, multiple times, Lucas Woodland of Old in Absence. Yeah. What's going to happen moving on, though? Oh, they must have someone already in. I mean, that Lucas set is going to be very... Is, I'm, oh, awesome. I'm stoked for him because I know how much that means to him personally that he gets the front funeral for two shows. Uh, so that's going to be awesome. But yeah, I wonder. I wonder what's going to happen next. Um... I like the idea. I like the idea that I came up with quite some time ago of funeral and friends, where they get different different singers for different songs. That that should be an album. They're going to do an album, different singer on every song. Well, it should definitely be a tour. Imagine how fucking mm. good it would be to go and see vocalists who have in, been inspired by Film for a Friend fronting Film for a Friend. Oof! If that happens now, we've got to. Act. I am going to sue Film for a Friend <laughs> if that happens. That's my idea that I told them about ages ago. Before they even came back in 2018, I was suggesting doing a funeral and friends if Matt didn't want to tour. So that's my idea. But yeah, I'd love to I'd love to see that. I'd love to be involved in it. <laughs> yeah, if I'm involved in it, if I'm involved in it, 
we don't have to get our lawyers involved. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But yeah, sending so much love to everyone in that band because we've said how many times over that it's one of our favorites of all time and they mean a lot to us. But yes, really happy we could do this episode and just very, very exciting times ahead and nice to see a Welshman doing well in America. And as we mentioned earlier, we're two Welsh idiots who are going to be going to America at the end of February for the Emo's Not Dead cruise. <laughs> what a fucking mad sentence. Uh, I've just had a message come through Ooh. directly from Matt Cutchell and Dave, who work behind the scenes and everything, saying that listeners to this podcast what? I can get 20% off all Emo's Not Dead merch and anything that they have on the website emosnotdead.com so all you gotta do is enter the promo code SATMIN apparently oh, and then you get what? 20% off so oh, fucking nice. do you know what if I put an order in now will they deliver it to me in Miami as I go on a Whoa. it would save me taking luggage it would to be fair oh we haven't got much of that so if <laughs> we um, if I, yeah if I buy some t-shirts and stuff off here I won't need t-shirts in a bag they do pants <laughs> <laughs> and socks yeah do, they, yeah, do they do, yeah, pants, do they do toiletries? Um, yeah, what else? Do they do passport? No, I got, I'll take my passport. Yeah, I, take that. Yeah, 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 please do. For the do you think God, I can do the full cruise in with one t-shirt, one pair? I know, well, number one, I know I can do it. But <laughs> <laughs> should I try and do emos on dead cruise? Thing is, right, I'm the prick who did Warp Tour 2009, right? I did three weeks on Warp Tour, right? With three pairs of jeans, right? And I never wore shorts once. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona was the oftest I've ever been in my life. Full black painted on trousers. Am I going to be the only one on emos? I'm taking shorts. I'm not a maniac. It's a swimming pool. But will I be constantly trousered? It seems likely because not many people have seen my shins. I can't wait for you to be the only one on the beach in the Bahamas wearing jeans. <laughs> Bro. I am going to be wearing jeans. I will wear a black trench coat. I am going to show you what it really means to be a gothic in this world. Um, yeah, take that Bahamas. I'm going to be head to toe, head to toe in. I'm gonna, yeah, my dress like Neo from the Matrix in a big leather jacket as well. Uh, oh. Miami! Yeah, very busy time oh, coming up. We're going to Miami. <laughs> 19th of February, the Blackout will be st- begin a week of UK shows for their first tour back in nine years. Then we're going on a boat and then festival season is right around the corner as well. So, so much going on. Keep updated at SatlinPod well, on Instagram and the app for me known as Twitter. Actually, I think you'll find, um, yeah, so nine days after we get back from the uh, cruise, uh, Raiders are playing in... Oof. Abertillary at the Dolls House, I believe. And we also have one coming up in Northampton. So please Ooh. go to at Raiders Band UK on socials and have a check. And please come and see us because it's going to be such a contrast from doing a um, very well sold tour to then um, doing Raiders shows to seven people. But yeah, come along. It'll be a laugh. Um, I'm going to have fun no matter what. If you want a look and all the secrets behind what we're doing first and announced before anywhere else, head over and support us via our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Sapnin. There's a whole community of people there you can meet up with, go to gigs together. It's just a lovely time, very, very wholesome, and everyone's just generally the nicest human beings. So patreon.com forward slash Sapnin for that. 
who had the description of this episode. There's loads of names there that we thank. But as always, Sean is going to give a mahusive shout out to the elite members of the community. Those are the people in the top tiers. Yes, thank you very much. Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi, Janelle Caston, Paul Urshfield, Tony Michael, Scarlett Chant, Dilly Califragilistic, Expeller Grimwood, Nathan Croshaw, Mitch Perry, Kelly Owen, Molly Malloy, and James Bowerbank, Amy Louise, Kat Besson, Alexandra Pemblinton, Jonathan Gutierrez, Jenny Robertson, Amy Dawson, Muddy Grimwood, Scott Jones, Stuart McNaught, Ellen Southfield, Caroline Robertson, Stephen Aston, Kate Paddock, Jenny Munster, Louis Cook, Carl Pendlebury, James McNaught, Jason Aredia, Martina McManus, John and Emma, Danny Eaton, Sean Foynes, M.M. Roberts, Evan, Ollie Amesbury, Emily Perry, Adam King of the Goss Parcel, Khalil Keen, Josh, did you hear about the... Oh, what's he written? Yeah, no, sorry, he's put it all as one word, so I've got to click on. Welsh internet, it's slow. Any second now, guys, any second now. Josh, did you hear about the guy with the misspelled tattoo? We had this last week. He's, he said he has no regrets. Chris... Thank you very much, Vicky, Kyle Bunty Chocolate Fan, David Smith, and Connor Lewins and family. Thank you very much. And as Morgan said, all the people in the description, all the people who make our fucking community as special as it is. I'm sorry at the swear, but it does make me extremely emotional. And when you're as dull as I am, swear words are the only way you can show your true emotions. We love those people. The way they look after each other and support each other is the greatest thing that's ever happened to this podcast. So get involved now, make some new friends, patreon.com forward slash happening. Get involved! Yes, please do. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the support. Without you guys and the Patreon, importantly, none of the things we get to do would ever be possible. So we appreciate you from the bottom of our hearts. But that's about it for this week. We'll be back next Friday. And every Friday, we have very special guests, fucking daft moments and random sentences. But until then... Just have a good time. Have a nice week. And oh, it's my birthday today. I forgot about that. Oh, inside. Yeah. I, technically. Yeah. Technically. Hi. Happy birthday, me. Happy birthday. Hey. Well done. Um, money or um, tweets and Instagrams at Richards underscore on Twitter and Instagram. And have we got a TikTok? Nah. I don't blame you, but it's fucking crap. I don't get it. Anyway, happy birthday! <laughs> <laughs> Satin! <laughs> That's the fucking wildest one I've done yet! I'm losing my mind, but I'm fucking happy birthday, bud. Don't die. You're listening to Satin Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't. I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, thank you very much.